0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: And the tree said to the bramble, you come and you reign over us and the bramble said to the trees if in truth you anoint me as king over you then come and take shelter in my shade but if not let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon and really what this young man Jotham is doing is showing that Abimelech is this bramble he's the he's the 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 the, the weed really that really has no use in in a sense it's just really nothing to be used but but for kindling a fire again.
0: Welcome everyone to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn that Jotham was the only son of Gideon to escape the massacre at the stone. Here he told a parable to rebuke the men of Shechem for their choice of Abimelech as the king. He made this speech from the top of Mount Gerizim, the mountain from which Israel heard the blessings of God pronounced upon the obedient about 150 years before. In the parable told by Jotham, the worthy trees didn't want to be king, but the unworthy bramble agreed to be king. The bramble was a low thorny bush and offered shade to no one. We know that God must be the one to choose our leaders. Now let's join Pastor Rob.
1: are possibilities, and and we see that over and over again in the Bible. We see it in history. We see it in Henry the Eighth, or you know Henry the uh, in, in England. We see those kinds of things. We saw it in Herod's life. That's really who I meant to talk about. We see it in Herod's life. He was so hungry and jealous for power, he didn't want anybody. Any threat to his throne, he would just kill the person, even his own family. And so it was probable that this was the motive for Abimelech and the hatred that he hated his 70 other brothers and again, this thing has lived out in society and culture ever since man was created. It's just continued. It's perpetuated. And so, in verse 6, it says, "...and all the men of Shechem, they gathered together, all, uh, all of Beth Milo," which uh, Beth Milo means house of the fortress, "...and they went and they made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem." And I love these uh, descriptions in the Bible because they mean something. Whenever you see something like this, it was a location uh, certainly unknown to us now, and probably even unknown uh, several hundred years ago, or even a thousand years ago. Because how long does a tree live? You know, uh, some trees, like the olive trees and and Gethsemane, uh, some of the the trees that are there are from the root system of the trees in Jesus's time, but. Uh, things get burned down, things get rooted up, but I love how it it gives a specific place, this terebinth tree, and there was something special and unique about this place. uh, We don't have the time to to go into it tonight, but a lot of things happened at this place, at this pillar that was in Shechem. And so, as we get into verse 7 through 15, we're going to see perhaps the very first parable in the Bible, and it's given by Jotham, because you recall... When, when they came and he killed, oh, I forgot to mention something in verse 5, excuse me. It says, Then when he went to his father's house, house at Oprah and he killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone, so he massacred them, killed them. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. And wouldn't you hide yourself? And so God allows a remnant, someone to escape, you know, and I love that. Um, and so, all the men of Shekel, uh, verse 6, gathered together all at Beth, uh, all of Beth Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. And now when they had told Jotham, he went and he stood on top of Mount Gerizim, and he lifted his voice and he cried out. And, and one thing you have to remember is, uh, again, uh, Mount Gerizim is, uh, is a mountain on the south side, and then there's this plain in between and right in the center of that plain is the town or village of Shechem. And then on the other side of that, north of that, is a uh, Mount Ebal. And so now Jotham, this youngest son who had escaped of the 70 that were killed, he gets up on top of the mountain and he says, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may also listen to you. And here he gives a parable of, of trees and this is really interesting and he's setting up basically an example between um, himself or Gideon's uh, family versus the uh, Abimelech himself and so he gives this parable and he says the trees once went forth to anoint a king over them and they said to the olive tree reign over us but the olive tree said to them, "Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and to go and to go to sway over trees?" And then the trees said to the fig tree, "So now the, the trees come to." Uh, the fig tree and say, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? And then the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I cease my new wine with cheers, both God, with which cheers both God and men and go to sway over the trees? And then all the trees finally, after All of these different uh, trees uh, refuse to rule over the trees. You know, the olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine. It's kind of interesting that these all symbolize Israel, by the way. And then the the trees come to the bramble, which is really just a brush. It's really nothing to be used of except to light fire and to use for cooking. as sort of like kindling kind of thing. And the tree said to the bramble, you come and you reign over us. And the Bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the Bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And really what this young man Jotham is doing is showing that Abimelech is this bramble. He's the he's the, 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 the weed really that really has no use in in a sense it's just really nothing to be used but, but for kindling a fire again you know but these other the the vine and the olive tree and the fig tree they all have very specific purposes they all have good purposes but now you've got this vile man uh, Abimelech and you're going to anoint him king over Israel is that what you really want to do and so notice the 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 prophecy here that, that Then come and take your shelter in my shade. Are you going to find, are, is the forest, are, is, is this tree, all these trees, are they going to come and find shelter underneath a bramble? It's kind of like the other way around, right? And it, and it just shows you when people are really desperate, they'll, they'll, they'll choose anything and anyone, and especially if that vile person has some, uh, some promise of, of victory or promise or uh, boasting in some great gift or ability. You know, uh, People can be uh, confused, people can be manipulated, people can be deceived. And um, some of the best people that are in authorities, even in our own world today, uh, are really base people. They probably shouldn't be there, but God has allowed them to be there for His own purposes. Now notice verse 16, it says, Now, therefore, if you love, and here he continues. Now, remember, he's up on this mountain, and this being up on Mount Gerizim to the south and speaking down to them, it's like a natural amphitheater. And so, uh, he's able to speak, and that voice can cover quite a distance. And so, he says to them, Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, he risked his life, and he delivered you out of the hand of Midian, but you have risen up against my father's house this day, you've killed his seventy sons on one stone, and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother." And if you have acted in truth and sincerity with jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. And But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And so we see uh, uh, Jotham here really putting them to the test and saying, you know, if if, if this is the man of the hour, if this is who you really want, and if it's true that my dad was nothing and all that he did for you, if that wasn't something, um, then choose Abimelech. If this is what you want, then you've got him. Have fun. That was kind of what he's saying. But he says, but if you have risen up this day and killed his sons and made Abimelech uh, king over you, then... um, you know, let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Millo and devour Abimelech, and we're going to see this prophecy actually coming to pass toward the end of the chapter. And no doubt, God gave this young man, who was the only survivor of the seventy brothers, uh, he's the only one that's left uh, of that family, and so he really is led by the Lord, and the Lord gives him really a word through a parable, and then he de- then he describes the parable, he gives the interpretation of. The parable to uh, the men of Shechem. And so, you know, it's interesting here in verse 18, you know, he says, But you have risen up against my father's house this day and, and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. You know, there, we have to be very careful with family loyalty. Um, and if you think of it, these men have killed in cold blood the seventy sons of Gideon, and, and here they are. And you know, they're, they're still the, the men of Shechem are being loyal uh, with Abimelech, are loyal to him even though they've done that he has done this treacherous act, and just because he's family. And you know, there are things that happen in families that are are horrible. Um, In every family, uh, that there are a number of things that can happen, and it's just part of life. Unfortunately, that you, you know, when you get to know somebody, you start to talk to them, and then you find out the secrets of the family, and you hear some things that are just horrible. You know, things where uh, I don't even want to mention them. You know, just horrible, horrible things. But we have to be careful. You know, when it really comes down to it, we have to remember that we are servants of God. And we have to be loyal to Him more than loyal to uh, even a family member who has done something wrong. We can't act like nothing ever happened. And if we're called upon to tell the truth, we need to tell the truth. And that can be really hard to do because, remember, we are stand before God, not before man. But if we let family loyalty and family blood uh, get in the way of truth, we've got a problem. And so that's something that we have to come to terms with, and certainly that's what um, uh, Jotham is talking to Abimelech and the men of Shechem about. And so, uh, let's see, verse 21, it says, And Jotham, after giving them this speech, what does he do? (laughs) The very natural thing to do is to run, is to get away, because now he's going to have a bunch of people looking after him. So Jotham ran away, verse 21, and he fled, and he went to Ba'er, uh, and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. Now, Be'er in Hebrew really just means a well. And as you know, there were many wells in the land that day, in, in that day. And so there's no, really no way of knowing exactly where this is, and it really doesn't matter. So he went to a well um, and where he dwelt there, and he did that for fear of Abimelech, his brother. And so these two men are the only ones alive out of all of Gideon's Uh, offspring. One is the survivor of the 70, and the other is a rogue who is desiring power for himself. Notice in verse 22, it says, after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, so now he's three years into it. And notice what happens in verse 23, that God sent a spirit of ill uh, will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. And you know, there comes a time, isn't this true? There comes a time that if you're not dealing truthfully, and if you're not walking in the truth, that your company begins to stink. (laughs) Have you ever been around somebody that they've done something wrong, and eventually, uh, as you're uh, with them, and maybe even living in the same house, and they've done this horrible thing, eventually, uh, your acquaintance, your family member, whoever it may be, uh, something just starts to stink, and it's not a good thing. You know, there's a a phrase that we use and that I've heard, and it's, what goes around comes around. And maybe you've heard the phrase, well, they're going to get their day in court, meaning someday they're going to be held accountable for what they've done. And what goes around comes around. In fact, um, all those who are involved in evil plots and schemes they often eventually go against one another. And see, that's the wonderful thing about uh, Christians, is of all the people on the earth, even though we can disagree about things, we have the greatest thing in common, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's really what holds us together. He is the unifier. He's We have unity even if we don't agree, And, and even if we have personality problems with people, we can still be unified in Christ and we can still love each other. But when you're devising evil plots and schemes, eventually even the enemies themselves, they they, they go against each other. And and this is true. This is true even in the world. You see these things happening all the time. Because whenever there's wicked people, there's wicked hearts. And wherever there's wicked hearts, there is deceit and there's mistrust and there's suspicion. And then there's murder. And then there's cover-up. And then there's lying. And then there's cover up, and then more murder, <laughs> and so in Psalm thirty seven, I love what the, uh, the psalmist says. It says, "The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth." And notice verse thirteen. It says, "The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. He sees that his day is coming." And see, God doesn't. He he, does, he never delights in the death of the wicked. He doesn't delight in, in causing somebody to be caught. But there comes a point, and we've all seen this, even in our own lives, where if we don't repent of something, there, there comes a point where God says, enough is enough. And God will call you to account for that thing. Your day does come. And thank God for His grace, because uh, there have been so many who have been involved in certain things and have truly repented, and God will never remember it. and And... That is such a wonderful mystery of God because we know that there are other people who go along the same road doing the same thing, and for some reason they get caught, they get busted sooner than maybe you did. Maybe you were doing something for years and never got caught, and yet someone else does it for three months, whatever that is, and then they get caught, they get busted. And you know, that person's day had come when God would not allow them, and that's why our relationship with the Lord is so unique. It's not a cookie-cutter kind of thing. It's a relationship that Jesus has with us, and He looks at each of our lives as unique, and He's dealing with us on an individual basis. We're not like anybody else in the world, and that's why it's so good to not compare each other with one another, because it's really not fair, because God knows what He needs to do in me. He knows what He needs to do in you, so it's really not fair. For me to put my own standard of what I think is right upon you, or perhaps the grace that God has given me, i can 't expect um, I know God is gracious for everyone, but he has a limit on what he 's going to do in someone else's life that may be different than mine, and that's a mystery that belongs to him he knows my He knows what motivates me, he knows what i 'm thinking, he knows how long i've been thinking, and so He knows exactly what to do to get the result that he needs. And so that's where we just really have to end it. But notice that God sent a spirit of ill will uh, between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And this is an interesting thing because most of the time when we think of God, we think of him as um, never having... um, He's certainly a a good God, there's no doubt about it. But the the mystery that we don't like is that God has control and authority over all things and that includes the dark things and god never uh, does something uh, to tempt anyone he, he doesn't uh, do anything to uh, bring about something the thing we have to um, understand about the enemy of our souls satan is that he is always waiting it's almost like and this is true god is protecting us and so around you there is this bubble in a sense and the devil wants to get in at any weak point that he can see. It, it it's, you've all seen the the movie um, uh, Jurassic Park and those Velociraptors. I, I use this uh, from time to time because it's such a a wonderful illustration. And and I don't really know if they really did this in in, in the natural because we don't really know. But in the movie, they, they talk about these velociraptors and they were going around to the uh, the fence, this electrified fence all around the compound and they would hit each different area to find weaknesses in the fence that they might break through. And And that's exactly what the enemy does. He's always trying so hard. And if God lifts his finger for one moment and says, I will allow it, because god knows the end of it he knows what it's going to do that's the mystery of of iniquity god will allow certain things to come into our life he doesn't make it happen but he allows it to happen because the devil all he is bent on is destruction and temptation and to destroy that's all he wants to do and god by his wonderful grace protects us from these things only unless he says, okay, I'm going to allow you, you know. In fact, in James, what does it say? In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, it says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. So, when we look at this verse and it says that God sent a spirit of ill, um, we can't assume and can't can't think that, well. well, God is just You know, from his own self, from his own being, he is making this happen. He doesn't really have to do anything because God just has to basically allow something and the devil is right there, ready to pounce at any given time on any given person for any given thing. And it's only the wonderful protection of God. You know, his mercies are new every morning and I'm so glad he shields us in ways that we don't even understand we're being shielded. But that is our loving Heavenly Father. But back in James it says, "...but each one is tempted, notice, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, and then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death." And so God doesn't really have to do anything. He just has to lift His hand of protection over a certain area to allow the devil to do something. And I love that God specifies what, he, what, um, what the devil can and cannot do. You remember, even in the book of Job, we see this in Job chapter 1 and verse 6, where it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came up from among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where do, where, where, From where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it." And the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job?" Now this may sound like a, an, a kind of like a, an unfortunate uh, invitation, and I'm sure Job was going, "Well, why don't why don't you ask him to consider somebody else?" But see, the thing is, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew. From that moment, he knew what the end of Job was going to be and how God was going to bless him so much more than what he had started off with and the work that he was going to do in Job. The devil doesn't know that. God knows that. But All the devil knows is I can hurt, I can inflict pain because the devil doesn't know to what level God is going to allow this to go on. And so the devil, he's just like a thirsty, ravening wolf a ravening bear, and he just wants to kill, and he doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't even care the purposes of God. He just wants to destroy, because that's where, that's his character. He's a destroyer, he's a thief, he's a liar, and he's been that way from the very beginning. But this is what he said. He says, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all of the earth, a blameless and a man upright, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job Job fear God for nothing have you made uh, have you not made a hedge around him around his household and around all that he has on every side and here it is God had made a hedge around this man around his family, his whole household. Consider that like the bubble in a sense. the devil's saying uh sure i 've considered him, but you know what you 've got him protected and there, you know he's